Welcome to the 177th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. There's little doubt that having cover crops on the land before and after the regular cash crop growing season produces major environmental benefits. Less erosion, sequestration of greenhouse gases, and fewer fertilizers and other agrochemicals running off into our water are just a few of the benefits of keeping the land in continuous living cover 12 months out of the year. It is simply a way to better utilize all that photosynthesis above ground while feeding the soil beneath the surface. But before cover cropping becomes a consistent component of Midwestern agriculture, it will need to make economic sense for farmers. The fact remains that planting small grains, brassicas, and other cover crops costs money and time. And there is not a ready market for most cover crops, eliminating the possibility of getting an immediate economic return on a farmer's investment. Much of the cover cropping that's been done in recent years was jump-started with the help of cost-share funds from the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service. This has provided us with various on-farm examples across the Corn Belt of how cover cropping can improve soil health and fit into a regular cash cropping routine. Now farmers, conservationists, and economists are crunching the numbers to make cover cropping pencil out as part of their day-to-day business enterprise. A few pioneering cover croppers have begun to show that integrating such a practice into a corn-soybean rotation reduces fertilizer and herbicide costs while increasing yields. The next step is documenting the financial benefits of continuous living cover on a consistent, widespread basis. That's one reason the Land Stewardship Project recently sponsored a series of workshops on soil health and cover cropping in southeastern Minnesota. Much of the focus of these meetings was ways of making cover cropping pay. Farmers, conservationists, and researchers discussed how building soil health is a long-term investment, one that requires looking beyond next fall's harvest. After one of the LSP soil health workshops, I chatted with Jack Boyer, a north-central Iowa farmer who has experimented with cover crops for about five years. Boyer raises corn and soybeans, as well as seed corn. He talked to me about the need to take a big-picture view when calculating cover cropping's benefits and what innovations are needed to make this practice more common on Midwestern farms. Well, some of the research that I've worked on in the in the last few years is is looking at uh, the nitrogen captured and, you know, is there a way that we can back off on some of the nutrients that, that we uh, artificially apply and... Uh, try to measure the benefits that we might capture in that cover crop for later use in another one. And also on the weed control side of it, if we can get some benefit from the weed control from that cover crop during the next growing season, that can, uh, in, in at least in uh, the experiment that I ran this year, I was able to um, observe a $10 an acre savings because I didn't have to post apply for water hemp control in the areas where I had cover crop versus no cover crop. Are you able to look at things, uh, are you gotten to the point where you're able to look at, well, I'm able to cut back on fertilizer use, uh, maybe even fuel use because the soil is working better, that kind of thing, or are we still a ways off on that? As far as the fuel use is concerned, I think the biggest gain there would be going from uh, conventional tillage to no tillage, such that you're making fewer trips across the field, and certainly there's opportunities there, but that's more on the no-till side rather than the cover crop. I have observed changes in the tilth of the soil, but I've not taken the due diligence to try to measure the benefits on the fuel side of it. 
in in that regard at all what about the fertility or the the, the fertilizer cost yeah i have noticed some changes in the fertility and i've i've run a few trying to back off of the the nitrogen is the main one that i've worked on and and uh, i already grid sample and i variable rate apply all of the the fertilizer so i'm using those tools already but trying to look at where i've had cover crops versus no cover crops in in the amount of nitrogen that i would apply it appears that there's some benefits i have only backed off in plot type basis so far and i've not uh, come to the point i'm ready to make a wholesale decision about it so what are some questions looking forward that you think need to be answered i know that that the economics question comes up a lot but what are some i guess i know you work with uh, pfi and iowa state on some of this research but what's some questions that need to be answered for more farmers to take kind of really take this seriously and, and look at it as a something that financially pays off for them uh, some of the you know some of the ways that I'm trying to look at to try to reduce the cost of applying a cover crop is getting that cover crop started in combination with some other operation such as side dressing or whatever else and i've experimented with that a little bit and and have uh, what i at best call mixed results so far so one of the things that i'd like to see some additional research and i will be doing some of that myself is trying to find some species that are more shade tolerant that can and can live in our environment and survive that uh, tall corn and then be ready to go right out of the chute as soon as the corn uh, matures and can take off and have that root system so it gets that early vigor in that late season. Cereal rye is my main, what I'll call my base. I've, I've experimented with hairy vetch and radishes and, and uh, rapeseed or canola and uh, I don't know, a few others that I've experimented with and, and rye has very much been my dependable standby that it, it seems to be successful in the least in the last four or five years regardless of what kind of winter that we've had had mixed results with the others radishes i've had very poor results because i'm in a corn soybean rotation i don't have a small grains that gives it that opportunity to grow so it never gets much bigger than my little finger and and i think i'm gaining more benefit out of some crops that will overwinter and get that root system down there and give it a few more months to grow and keep keep the ground covered a little longer than some of the winter kill varieties and what would be your average cost to put in a cover crop have you figured that out if i'm only using cereal rye and i use the going rate on air application it's it's about thirty dollars an acre when you start to add legumes to it the price goes up quickly because they're a much more expensive seed and uh, i guess the most i've ever had in the cover crop was about fifty dollars but typically i'll all some of the that i've applied after harvesting soybeans i've done it with my uh, air seeder with a vertical till machine that's worked quite well and i don't have quite as much invested in the application and uh, it's worked nicely so i'd say maybe 25 dollars in that one versus 30 or 32 dollars on air applied well it sounds like from what you talked about with your presentation i mean one of the concerns farmers have is there's a bit of a i don't know if i want to call it a myth but a story out there that you're going to take a huge yield hit, and that's going to be a big hit uh, economically because you're just not going to get the corn yields or the soybean yields that you want. But it sounds like you've you found that it really evens out as far as yield. I'd say that the biggest factor in there is you have to manage the cover crop just like a cash crop. You, you can't just 
just put it out there and, and let it go and then plant your corn and, and all's well. You have to manage it, so you have to prepare for it. You know, you have a lot of residue there. You need to put some nitrogen down there because the nitrogen is going to be tied up for a little while. So you either need to use a starter or put some nitrogen over the top on that residue to help uh, offset that until the corn gets up big enough and it, and it starts to release it. I'm in my fifth year of cover crops, and I'd say all of my experiments with it is it's uh, the yield has been at least equal. And then it took me about three years before I saw an improvement, and I've consistently seen an improvement since then, and it's increasing. I think a, a really good point you made was when people are looking at cover cropping, they have to look at their own situation, their own soils, their own climate. But they also, I think this is an important point, look at their own goals. That, that that's a really important thing to, that's going to be different maybe than somebody else absolutely that you know that's the first questions that you need to answer when you think about cover crops is what are your goals what are you trying to accomplish with cover crops and as i had stated earlier for me one of the my primary ones is either to build or maintain organic matter erosion control and then capturing the nutrients and and uh, as i have progressed along this this journey well i've i've kind of put those all on, on equal priority now but i started as organic matter being my primary goal but if someone has livestock they might be just a little bit different because they might want to have a lot of forage so they can graze it i don't have livestock so that's not one of my goals so you need to to look at this and how does it fit into your own operation that's a good point and and also looking at if you're going to stick with it from year to year that you have to have those long long long-term goals and and it sounds like you have seen some improvement with your organic matter yes yes yeah in in the in the field there where i've got the longest uh, benefit and and i showed the soil health and the Savita tests in there, but I'd also um, had the organic matter that where I do my routine tests. I'm doing it on a grid sampling basis, and uh, I've been able to observe a significant increase in the organic matter in a four or five year period as well. And so it seems to be working for me. That's uh, just going back to that setting goals. If you have those long term goals, then you are going to come back, maybe put up with a year when you have mixed results and come back to it year after year and maybe take another shot at it and try a little differently. Certainly. Yeah. I, I think cover crops need to be viewed as a long-term reinvestment. I mean, we spent years taking away. Now, building is a slow process. It's a slow process, so you can't expect immediate results out of of organic matter and those kinds of things in one year. You know, you need to take a long-term view of it. So are you getting farmers in your neighbors looking at this, or is it one of these situations where you have to go 50 miles to be respected on this issue? Are you getting more interest in your area? There is a lot more interest, and certainly the amount of cost assistance that's available affects how many acres that you see with that. But, you know, some of these types of events, these kinds of meetings, the sharing the information, sharing other farmers' experience, and farmers learning from farmers, I think, is a good tool to be able to spread the message. And I think... They are starting to see positive results, but the question that everybody wants to answer, how do you pay for it? Next, I talked to Sarah Carlson, the Midwest Cover Crop Research Coordinator with Practical Farmers of Iowa. Carlson described attempts to document the economic benefits of cover cropping and the role sophisticated soil health tests could play in putting a value on building a field's biology. Right, so we're just beginning to see corn and soybean farmers 
document their return on investment with cover crops and where they're taking, where they're reducing expenses to afford the cover crops. So we're just starting to see farmers start to capture that. Now the livestock farmers that are livestock crop systems, we have a project that has been documenting that for three years now and the hay savings and the financial gain from livestock eating cover crops and then offsetting hay that we definitely have documented that for livestock. It's obvious, but for the corn soybean farmers, that's where we're just now seeing those guys who have been using covers for three to five years. They're, they're saying, oh, I better document these, these savings. One, one interesting thing is talking about like, like the Haney test and some of these real sophisticated soil health tests. It sounds like they can help us say, okay, this is how much nitrogen I'm, uh, total nitrogen I'm going to have, how much nutrients, and that that's not, that's the amount that I won't have to buy uh, next year for fertilizer. Right. So the traditional soil test just doesn't capture the, all the forms of nitrogen that are out there, and the Haney test tries to, so then you could be more precise in nitrogen application, which should mean that you're also saving money on nitrogen application. So then that helps you afford the cover crops more because you're really upping your management on nitrogen. One of the things that Jack pointed out, and I think it was a really interesting point, was you have to set your you have to consider not only your local climate and, and all that, but you have to look at your own goals. And it seems like if somebody is setting some long term goals, that maybe that helps them get over a couple years where the finances just aren't working out. That's right. This is a long-term thing. It's like marriage. I mean, we got to stick with it. We have to try it. And we're going to have some years where there's no cover and we spent $20,000. And then some years, you know, it's going to break even as we start to document. And then maybe in other years, we got rid of an herbicide pass and we more than paid for it. But yeah, we got to stick with it. Are you seeing, um, I know that that's something that they've seen in Indiana is we're seeing kind of some economic benefit in the community in that implement dealers, seed dealers, those kind of folks, the crop uh, certified crop advisors, they're seeing that there's an economic benefit to seeing farmers plant cover crops. Is that something you're seeing in Iowa or is that something there's, that's being talked about? Yeah, so now the co-op dealers are offering recommendations not just for fertilizer and herbicides, but for cover crops and how that should fit into your corn-soybean rotation. And we'll hear seed dealers selling, you know, a Pioneer or a DeKalb hybrid, have the farmer talk about, okay, what cover crops are you going to plant with these different varieties and hybrids, and should we choose this one versus that one? And then, you know, we have custom seed cleaning, we have custom drilling, custom application. So yeah, there's there's going to be money into rural Iowa, rural Midwest, as we keep it green year round. For more on LSP's work with soil health, see www.landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member... Visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSB. Thanks for listening.